Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the story behind every book. Joining me today is the most interesting man that I've talked to in a long time. His name is Mario Cartaya, and he's here to talk about his autobiographical book, Journey Back into the Vault in Search of My Faded Cuban Childhood Footprints. Now, Mario Cartaya is an amazing story. He was born in Cuba in 1951. Eight years after his birth, the turbulent winds of political change swept through Cuba, and he and his family immigrated to the United States. Currently, Mario is the principal of a highly acclaimed architectural firm, and his life story and award-winning architectural designs were entered into the United States Congressional Record of the House of Representatives in 2019 to be forever enshrined into the U.S. Library of Congress. Now, Mario has switched his, some of his attention. He's decided that he wants to pay attention to writing, and with that writing, he's going to have the same dedication and the same love that made him an architectural success as well as an iconic designer. Wow, Mario, what an introduction. Welcome to Books on Air. It's such a pleasure to meet you and to have you as my guest. Well, it's an honor to be on your show, Suzanne, and I certainly hope that I live up to that wonderful introduction. (laughs) I'm so impressed with you. I just can't imagine. You have just been, I mean, to have your story and your images. I can't imagine what that must be like for you as an architect and as a designer of buildings. We could talk about that all day, but we're here to talk about your book, and I have so many questions about the book. Books have, it's been my experience, two stories. There's the story that the author chooses to put down and share with the world, which you've done here, and that's the story that the reader gets to read. But there's always a second story. There's always a secret story that the reader never knows. There's a reason that the book came into being. Why did you decide to share this story in your book with the world? Because it's a beautiful story of seeking redemption, coming to terms with who you really are, and then trying to find that peace within us that we all need so much. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. As I looked at the book, the first thing that struck me was the title, Journey Back into the Vault. Explain the vault analogy for me, please, Mario. I I immigrated from Cuba to the U.S. um, because um, the Cuban government seeking to nationalize Uh, American properties throughout the island ended up at my father's uh, office uh, one day demanding his accounting books with the information of his American clients properties all over the island my father refused that led to his detention which ultimately ended with the infamous 
Che Guevara, who at the time was the head of the Cuban nationalization program of American properties, um, putting a gun to my dad's head. Oh, gosh. And, and demanding his books. Uh, my dad, fortunately, was saved by a, a friend uh, who brought him to the interrogation with Guevara and convinced Guevara to give him the afternoon to secure the documents that he was looking for. My dad did comply eventually, and that forced us to leave the island when Guevara told him, your future safety in this country is no longer guaranteed. So we came here with all that um, baggage, right? All that fear and loathing and um, just um, a horrible trauma of um, separation. Uh, we left our family behind. We never saw them again. The grandparents, the uncles, the aunts, my cousins, they all died in the 1960s. And we just never got to say goodbye. The 1960s, if you remember, was the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was a time of the Bay of Pigs invasion. It was a time of many, many things that happened. There was no communication between us and Cuba. So they died and we only found out through Western Union telegraphs that would tell us your grandfather died, your uncle died, and that were, type of a thing. You so were a little kid. All that. You were a yes, little kid, I was you? a little kid. Yes, I was. At the same time, it is 1960, and I'm a little kid in Miami. What does a little nine-year-old want? to have friends, to play baseball, to learn the game of football, to learn what a hot dog is and just become a little American. So I decided that the only way that I was going to really uh, move my life forward uh, would be to not think about my irrelevant Cuban past and go through the metamorphosis into an American as quickly as I could which I did, it was wonderful. Um, becoming an American was easy. However, that vault that I built to protect me from all those painful and relevant memories will come to play a few years later. I never felt it until after my history was read in the U.S. Congress. Should have been a day that um, I would be so happy and so proud and so, you know, um, enlightened by what I had achieved. But yet there was something missing, Suzanne. Imagine that. Imagine you understand what a uh, perfect day this is. You understand how important this day is in your life. What a tremendous honor has been bestowed upon me by the American government. You know, what a success. But yet, there's something missing, and I'm trying to figure out what it was. And that's when it dawned on me. I can't remember the first nine years of my life. 
See, the thing that strikes me is how – I can't think how to answer, how to ask this. When you were that little kid, did you make a conscious decision to shut out what happened in your Cuban past at that moment in time? Or did you just make the decision because you were now here in the United States, you needed to move forward and fit in? Exactly. I I was here in, in the U.S. I needed to move forward and fit in. Uh, in 1960, there weren't that many Hispanics like me in Miami. Uh, everybody was a little American kid. And, and hey, look, America was great, right? Uh, you had baseball. I would get to watch the uh, the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Giants and Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle and Roger Marys, all these heroes play on television. I got to love hamburgers. You know, everything about this culture, I love. So it was easy and it was natural and it was just something that I think just organically happened. You actually share this information in the book. And one of the thing that things that struck me immediately was when I clicked on Amazon and the book came up, there's a picture on the cover and that's you, isn't it? How old were you? Yeah. That that picture, whenever I look at it, it always brings so many thoughts. Uh, if, if you look at the picture carefully, you see a certain sadness in my eyes. That picture was taken. I was still eight, maybe a couple of months before we, we fled Cuba. That's my passport picture. Wow. Uh, that's what who I was the day that I came, right? But what gets me is the look in my eyes. I understood. I had watched just a month prior to that picture. I had watched hiding behind the second floor balusters of my home, uh, even though I wasn't supposed to be. My father has sent me to bed, but, you know, I'm an adventurer, right? So I hid be- behind the balusters to see what was going on. And my dad had just returned from his detention. And I watched as he asked my entire extended family, all those same people that I never saw again, for permission to leave Cuba with my mother and my brother and me. I watched that. I watched my dad cry as he asked for permission. And then I, I, I watched as everyone began to cry. And I watched as my grandfather, the patriarch, very educated man, stands up and he tells my dad, Ignacio, that was his name, um, you cannot be a husband to my daughter or a father to my grandchildren if you're dead. Please wow. travel to America and and come back when this is all over. Nobody expected it to be a lifetime. But yet, here we are. Mario, I can't imagine as a little child hiding so that you could overhear what was going on, how that must have felt. I did. And in hindsight, to think about, I mean, your father was right there in the throes of history, face-to-face with Che Guevara, 
wow, I have yes, chills ma'am. just thinking about that. And I have chills thinking about what was demanded from your father and the fact that Che looked at him and said, your safety in this country can no longer be guaranteed. He had no choice but to get you guys out of Dodge, as it were. We, we, had, we had no choice. Wow. Well, the pictures that are throughout the book, tell me about the pictures that you chose to, to put in the book and share with all of us. Well, the first photograph in the book is a photograph in my dedication. I dedicated this book to my dad uh, because he made the decision to leave. He always felt uh, responsible for having separated the family, you know, that we never saw again. But yet he always worked hard. He always provided for the family. He always had the sense of humor. He was a rock. And he always taught us that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And he always supported uh, what we felt that we needed to do with our lives and everything that I've become. Every award I have ever won, every recognition that I have received, this same book that I just wrote. It's all because of him. It's all because he made that decision to which he always felt um, the other side of the blade, which is the responsibility for separating us from the family. So I dedicated it to him. That's so appropriate. And so the the very first picture uh, shows him along with me when I was a baby, I think I... I was probably a year and a half when that picture was taken and my brother and my mother. We were the four that left. It's a beautiful. Together. So with, yeah, it's a beautiful to me, image. That, that yeah. Was, yeah, that was an image. And then there's some other pictures throughout. There's, there's a picture of me when I went back to the first home where we ever lived. Uh, and I'm standing in front of the home in my uniform, my school uniform, waiting to go to my first day of kindergarten. To me, to me, that represented moving away into starting to create your own intellect, mm-hmm. right? Yes, I uh, agree. You, you, own, you, you own yourself, and you own what you become of myself. And standing in that old home, uh, but also understanding that that was the first day that I began to think for myself, first day that I began to learn, right? To me, that meant something. And returning to that spot uh, where I began to grow my Cuban roots that I now sought to to find, right? That I began to grow my intellectual roots uh, was a fitting uh, picture to put. I have all all the pictures of me and my tricycle, because that <laughs> reminds me of my of my going to the park. And my God, my tricycle meant so much to me. And then later, it's a picture of my grandfather. My my grandfather was my second father. Um, he was a, an extremely educated um, man who saw something in me from a very early age, and he would tutor me in subjects that were way beyond my academic curriculum. 
even though I, I went to a, a very well-known private school in Havana, he wanted me to learn more. And he, he would encourage me to play with three dimension toys and paint every day. Oh, he was encouraging oh, those no, seeds really. of architecture, wasn't he? Exactly. Oh, exactly. he planted those seeds, didn't he? He planted the seeds. I, I don't think he planted the seed. I think that he allowed me to explore. He because he would it. also teach me. He would also teach me about the human body. And I was doing algebra by the time that that, that I was seven. Wow, Mario. You know? Uh, so he, he taught me math, he taught me science, and he also wanted to teach me the arts. I, it just so happens that I gravitated towards the arts. That's amazing. But, but here's, here's a man that I loved so much, and I cared so much, and yet he would die, and I never got to say goodbye. Oh. Except... In this book, when I finally return to his final resting place, and that in itself is a long story on how I got there. Let's talk about the day that you were installed in the library and the day that you went into the congressional record. That was not a good day. What made you make that pivotal decision to go back to Cuba and to do this exhaustive research and find yourself and find your roots and, and find relatives that you didn't even know existed. What made you decide to do that? Well, the, the, the day of me getting my history read into the congressional record, the Library of Congress and all that, uh, it was a beautiful day. There was just something missing. But later, um, I was asked to participate in this committee that was helping President Obama go to Cuba in his rapprochement trip. And after helping him um, for, you know, information that he should know about Cuba and, um, you know, then the logistics, where is he going to stay, who's going to drive him around, all right. that, right? right? I was part of that committee, you know, uh, along with, with Secretary of, of State, Kerry and others <clears throat> that helped him get there. They asked me to go with the entourage that went down there, and I said no, because I did not feel right having my first time back to the land of my birth with all of the uh, fear and loathing and um, feelings of the last time that I was there, uh, the trauma, right? Sure. I didn't feel back going back on anything that was political. Ah. But I sat, but I sat in my family room and I watched President Obama address the Cuban and American people from Havana, and the first words that he chose was. I Cultivate a White Rose. That is a beautiful poem by a Cuban poet named Jose Martí. 
that talks about cultivating a white rose that he was going to give to his friends. But he was also going to cultivate another white rose that he would give to his enemies too. And that's how he started it. He was making peace. He was trying to reset the clock. He was trying to move forward in a new, a new era of cooperation and friendship. And I watched this from my family room with my son. You mentioned that. No. And all amazing. of a sudden, it was beautiful. And, and, and all of a sudden, it dawned on me. If an American president can go there and can say these beautiful words of reconciliation, why not me? And that day I turned to my son and I said, Junior, <clears throat> I'm going back to Cuba. And then he began to cry. And he said, Pop, I've, I've been waiting for you to do this. Wow. How old and is I your did. son? Well, he is now uh, 35. <clears throat> and how old was he when you said this to him? Well, this is 2016, so he was 29. Mario, this is just so moving and inspirational. And the story that you're telling, I know it goes on, and that you tell us more about the relatives that you discovered. You tell us more about how this made you feel. And I have a question about the book. When you sat down and you began to think about writing the book itself, now, this is a very personal book. This is an incident that is a big, pivotal incident in your life. This whole, the whole thing, both ends, the being torn from Cuba and going back to Cuba. Both of these are major incidents in your life. When you sat down and you started to put pen to paper, as it were, or write with a computer, however you choose to write, what did it feel like to be able to get all of this information that had been stored inside you, all of these feelings, all of the emotions, all of the the ideas, all of the, they must have just poured out on the page. How did it feel when you began to write mm. the book? Well, let me let me first begin to answer that by saying that I never expected to find a bolt. Uh, what I realized and what I never anticipated is that to find the memories of my long forgotten Cuban childhood, um, I was hoping that the stimulus of going to the buildings, the places where I lived would remind me. However, what that stimulus did was it took me inside a place inside myself where all those memories lived. I can say that. I had never lost those memories that I thought I had forgotten. I had never forgotten it. I just stopped myself from remembering. I protected myself from remembering in this subconscious vault that we all built, right? You build yours, and I have mine. Sure. Different people have different things in that vault. Mine was a little fuller than a lot of other people's, but I uh, what I... What I realized is that as the memories returned, as I kept breaching the vault, I realized that there were, there were no demons. The demons were gone. 
the demons of long ago belonged long ago. They were no longer around in 2016 when I went. And the more that I opened myself to going inside that vault and discovering who I really am, it's not who I was, it's who I am. Because all those memories that lurk inside ourselves is really a part of you and they've made you a part of you, right? So when I came back and I began to write about it, about these incredible feelings, the more that I wrote, the more that I breached that vault. I did not breach the entire vault while I was there. I kept breaching it uh, after coming because the way that I wrote this book was I thought, let's just write. Forget about prose. Forget about paragraph. Just get it out of your system. Good. Just put it on paper. Everything that you feel, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the sad, just put it all down. And then read it back to yourself. And I found myself that as I wrote it, more memories. I'm going to share something with you that is brand new that I discovered day before yesterday. My, my mother, unfortunately, passed away. Um, and I was going through her items, and there's a box with a letter from her saying, Mario, here's some things that I've been keeping for you. Um, please understand that these are for you. And among the things that I found in there was uh, a pocket watch that my grandfather used to own with a letter from him oh, Mario. telling me, this is for you. I just found it. Oh, my gosh. And, and the moment that I saw that watch, I remember it because I was on a school play in kindergarten where I played a, an elderly watchmaker. I'm four years old and I'm an elderly watchmaker, right? <laughs> and as, as my parents were dressing me up as an old man for that school play, my grandfather said to me, uh, here, you cannot be a, an old man without a pocket watch. And so he gave me this pocket watch. And here, after all these years, there it is in my hand again, just two days ago. And so it just yes, all flashed back in time, things. didn't it? It just flashed Absolutely. back in time, and there you were. And I remember him saying that. Wow. You know, which I did not remember up until I saw the watch. Again, the stimulus brings you to the vault. In that vault, you have memories that you put away because they're painful. Yes. Right? Yes. Well, guess what? It isn't painful anymore. It's beautiful. Now I have this watch that meant so much to him, <sighs> that means so much to me. And all that I could feel was love, not fear, just love. There are no demons anymore. It's beautiful. Mario. And that just happened again two days ago. Oh, Mario, this is just, thank you for sharing that story. You you just, you broke my heart with, with that story. Well, I don't want to break your oh, heart, please. Well, I was right there with you opening that box and seeing that pocket watch and the letter from your mom and the yes. letter from your grandfather. I mean, that is so poignant. 
you here here's the bad news. Here's the good news and the bad news. You and I could talk and talk and talk. This is so interesting and you are so interesting. You're such a good storyteller as we talk together with about the book. We really need to let our listeners know where they can find this wonderful book. It's on Amazon and I want to be sure I give them the name and do some spelling so that they can find it. All you need to do is just go to the Amazon website. When you go to Amazon, you'll see this big, sort of a beige, long, rectangular box. Here's what you put into the box to find Mario's book. The title, Journey Back into the Vault, colon, In Search of My Faded Cuban Childhood Footprints by Mario, M-A-R-I-O, Cartagena, C-A-R-T-A-Y-A, C-A-R-T-A-Y-A. Put that in, click on it, and the book will come up. The first thing you will see is Mario's picture His passport photograph from when he was a child brought to the United States is right there on the cover. In the upper right-hand corner of the book, you'll also see two words, and I confess for a long time I didn't know what this was. It says, Look Inside. All you have to do is put your cursor on Look Inside, click on it, and the book will open up. You'll see that lovely family photograph of Mario and his brother and his mom and dad right there at the very beginning of the book and then there's an excerpt from the book you can read the book there you can also buy the book there now Mario is there anywhere else that they can find the book besides Amazon is it on your publisher's website yeah it's on the Ex Libris uh, website but it is also on the um, Walmart has it um, Barnes and Nobles has it you know if 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 you look in the internet you're going to see I mean there's a whole slew of different uh, bookstores that have it on their website and uh, the easiest is of course Amazon now you do have your own website let's give them yes. the address of the website and tell the listeners when they go to the website what they'll find there it's a beautiful website Thank you, Suzanne. It's www.mariocartaya.com. Simple enough, right? Simple enough. When they go there, there's a bio about you. What else is there, Mario? There's There are several things. There are some things about your company. Well, you, you, you go to the, the webpage. There, there are two webpages. Uh, uh, the one that I gave you is the book. The other one is the company. Uh, that's something different, of course. And there you can see all the work that I've done, the uh, awards, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, the book uh, will give you um, um, things to read in from the book, you know. Uh, it'll also give you photographs of some of the activities that we've had. I mean, I've, I've been uh, very fortunate to have had some people ask for the book. Um, 
that you would recognize um, leaders from around the world that have asked for copies of the book, including the Queen of Spain, which was kind of cool. You that know? is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of cool. Um, and, and then you're going to go into a couple of book reviews, uh, two major international book review companies that have reviewed the book, very positive uh, reviews. And then you go into some commentaries from some of the people that have read the book and they leave their commentary on different sites. I picked some of them uh, that I thought were worthy. Um, and then you go into, of course, um, my bio and there's all kinds of, of goodies in there. Good. That will Good. make it fun and will we'll bring the book to life. Oh, I, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what it does. I really hate for our time to end. I am having such a wonderful time talking to you and hearing the stories. You are such a good storyteller just right here with me. So thank you for, for this. This has been so much fun. I always like for an author to have the last word about their book. And I know that this is a difficult question for you, and I, I gave you this beforehand so it wouldn't surprise you, but the listeners become readers, I think, very quickly for a book like this because it's so interesting. When they become a reader, my feeling about how they'll read your book is not just sit down and devour it cover to cover. They'll sit down and they'll read your book slowly because it it bears digesting. You read pieces of this and you think about what's happening, who these people are. This is a real person involved in a historical event that we've all heard about. But this is an insider point of view of what's happening to a family and to a real group of people. So I suspect that they'll read parts of it and then they'll digest it. Hopefully they'll also share it with their family family table discussions with children, getting them to hear this history firsthand, I think would be a very powerful thing to do. I'm a former teacher, so I can see if I was a history teacher, I would want this book, and I would want to bring this book into my classroom, and I would want to use this as a first-person account of what happened to someone who came to the United States during this period. My brain's just exploding with ideas about what you could do utilizing your book. So I can see that people will read this in a lot of different ways. But for you, you're the writer. This is your experience. This is your, if you'll pardon the expression, this is your life. What do you want the reader when the, when they finish, when they come to that last page for the last time and they close the cover either electronically or physically, what do you want them to take away from your book, Mario? That this is a book for our times. This is a book for today. It's a book that is needed. It's a book that people need to read. There are psychological forces that define us. But there is also the power of enduring hope. And right now, we all need to tap into that power of enduring hope because by doing that, we can achieve a purity of heart, reconciliation, put our souls at rest, 
and evolve into better versions of ourselves. This book really is meant to be a universal message of love and enlightenment that can only begin when we begin to search for self-actualization and that inner peace. And the key word in this whole thing is the inner peace that we all need. How, how do we go from all of the hate and the anger and the fear that we're exposed to daily into achieving an inner peace? And if we can all do this, wouldn't we help make everything better? Mario, my friend, I think you're trying to change the world, and I'm right there with you. It has been delightful and inspirational. Thank you so very much for being my guest today on Books on Air. Suzanne, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Now remember, you can find Mario's book on Amazon, and the title is Journey Back into the Vault in Search of My Faded Cuban Childhood Footprints by Mario Cartaya. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I so hope that you'll join me for our next Books on Air podcast because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.